0: Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I speak with psychotherapist, mum, writer and speaker, Anna Martha. Anna speaks to me about the death of her sister and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Anna on Instagram as Anna Martha. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as mentioned in my introduction, today I'm speaking with someone that. Uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a little while now actually and through the power of Instagram I have followed her and I thought through the current um, time that we're in it was perfect to, to get her on the podcast and it's Anna Martha how are you?
1: I'm good thanks for having me yeah just juggling juggling along to varying degrees of success but really happy just to be sitting down and chatting with you making space for that.
0: Yeah, like we just said off mic that, um, you know, it's just quite nice, isn't it, to have this moment, at least, of uh, yeah. just chatting to someone else. It's quite nice.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, someone outside the house. What a treat. <laughs>
0: um, so for the listeners, would you be able to just introduce yourself and who you are and all that stuff, please?
1: Yeah, so my name's Anna Martha. I am a mum of three. I'm a psychotherapist and I write I write a lot and speak a lot about anxiety and mental health. I I work a lot with mums, um, talk a lot about trauma and just how to look after ourselves because I think we're we just so often as parents don't we just put ourselves on lower down that list of priorities. So it's just encouraging people to move themselves back up there and give them tips and tools as to how to do that and yeah
0: yeah and you know what I've got to say that um in the morning I've got my little routine where I I sort of have that space of 20 minutes where I do my exercise and I go in the garden and recently you've been in my ears <laughs> with your podcast <laughs> oh, and, good uh, good yeah yeah no I've loved it and even even this morning <laughs> I've you know normally I'd have some music or something I thought no I'm gonna. I'm going to put one of your episodes on. And um, yeah, it's really it's, it's, a a, it's a really good way to start the day and it's doing really well, isn't it?
1: Oh, thank you. No, I've just loved it. You know, I think so often I'm, I'm definitely, I would call myself a perfectionist in uh, recovery. I wait so long to try and get things perfect before I take that step of risk and vulnerability, I guess, in, in putting it out there. But I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot and see what happens. So they're just little 10-minute therapy sessions little snapshots Mm. really and yeah
0: okay so the reason we're here today is obviously to talk about um, grief and would you be able to just share with the listeners about your own experience with grief please
1: yeah so funnily enough I talk a lot I talk a lot about mental health but one of the things I don't speak about that much is is grief and I think for me I lost my sister when she was nearly seven, so I was ten. So I was, you know, I, it feels in many ways like a very long time ago. And she had a brain tumor. She was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was really I'm kind of age two, three, and we went through this whole experience as children. You know, for for many years of our those really pertinent young years of the what was actually quite traumatic of going to you know. We lived in Birmingham Children's Hospital for a while, actually, um, after she'd had brain surgery. And they said to us, if we if we operate on this brain tumor, it was the size of a man's an adult man's fist. Then uh, there's a high chance that she may not be able to speak, you know, move. They just didn't know. And anyway, she came out of um, she came out of the operation. And she she was she just kind of almost recovered to be her normal cheeky self she had extra help at school a little bit of extra support there but there was always this fear there was this fear we knew it felt we were living on borrowed time they told us it would come back they left the old kind of 50p pence um size so bigger than they than they are than they are now of of cancer in her in her brain that they couldn't remove so we knew that there that there would at some point um be be a relapse of this cancer so it was it was a funny time the the years that that followed really because they said it would be about 6 months and it ended up being a good kind of few years of living with this you know the the day-to-day mundane of life and the the arguments that you have with your siblings and the you know the tussles over homework were still very much there but in the background there was this awareness that at some point life would very much shift gear again, and um, I remember she started having headaches. She was a cheeky blonde, curly little monkey, and um, <laughs> she started she started having these headaches, and she was absolutely not one to complain. And you know, our we felt we felt scared, and and whilst the doctors, you know, and everyone reassured us that kids have headaches, kids, you know, there's there's there there's this fear that kind of that it's an undercurrent, isn't it? When you've, when you've lived on that edge of, of loss, and you know that at some point you will, you will face that. So unfortunately it it had returned and she, being who she was made the decision herself as a 6 year old that she did not want to go through chemotherapy again she did not want to she she um she had a faith actually and she she used to say I want to go to heaven and see Jesus's real face so we we had to wow. respect that yeah we had to respect that and my parents were not going to push her to go through ra- you know radiotherapy it was rough and i i'm sure it's changed very much you know now but it was it was really quite hard and scary for a child and um she she knew she didn't want to go through that so we then went through kind of the the end of life care really and she died she died at home just before she was seven and that's that's my my experience of the of of that time in our life I mean there's there's so much more to it that's the simple that's the simple story <laughs> but yeah that that was my predominant experience I've lost grandparents and things since then in the very kind of natural order of life but that that's been the most predominant and pertinent experience for me
0: and for her to make that decision at the age of six, obviously it wasn't solely her decision but to to have that to make that kind of that inner choice is quite incredible isn't it really
1: well she 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 wasn't scared she wasn't scared of death I think as in a, as adults we' become more fearful I think I, along the years I've, I've definitely become more fearful but but she just wasn't she just wasn't mm. scared and she, she believed that there was life beyond. so she, she yeah she wanted she wanted to not to not go through the, the radiotherapy so she chose that. It was quite remarkable actually.
0: Do you remember that time well, you know be- sort of before she died and then after?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. Actually, I think, and this is why I, I speak so much about anxiety, because there's so much when you when you're young, or when you go through a worst case scenario, it takes away that that ability to quite so confidently reassure yourself that everything is going to be okay. You know, we often want that, don't we, when we're we're worried about losing someone, because I think ultimately, our anxieties come down to fear of loss. You know, when you've been through that worst case scenario, and I, I remember it so pertinently at that time, I I remember thinking, if she died, if anyone in my family died, I'd, I'd have to kill myself. I used to think there was absolutely no chance in the world that I could ever cope with that pain. And, and you do, and you walk through it, and you move through it, and you live through it, and it's messy, and it's hard. But actually, you know, a lot of my more recent challenges have come from the fact that I'm very much one of these people whose coping mechanisms is to be fine and to be the strong one and to be, you know, there was just so much sadness around me as a child. And I found that really hard. I found other people's sadness really hard and people in our family dealt with it very, very differently. So my brother, who was 18 months younger than me and just a couple of years older than, than Emily, and it was Emily, my sister. And, um, he his experience of grief was that he used to cry every night so we'd have these this hyper hour before bed we would just go wild and and just giggly and it was almost I don't know if it was a relief the release or or a way of escaping but we'd just go a bit we'd have this wild hour and then I'd go off to bed and he'd he'd cry so much so that some nights he'd be sick and he'd just cry you know he would let himself cry and he would dictate to my mum every night about his feelings and, and it they wrote it into this little book and um yet for me i just i didn't want to add to the sadness you know i didn't want to add to the worry i didn't want my parents to worry about me so i just wanted life to go back to normal i wanted everyone to be okay and 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 that was that was my way of coping or, or not coping. And and I didn't want to worry people, but actually when I speak to my mum now, she was like, I was more worried about you than I was about Matt and his his crying because he was he was crying, you you were you were not. And I, I I don't know I think I did some kind of like medical um, workshop or something in at school and and I remember them saying you know if there's a if there's a car accident and you've and you're you're a paramedic and you turn up and there's there's one person who is screaming and there is another person who is silent who would you go to and we all said, well you go to the person that's screaming because they're in pain and they said well actually no you go you go to the person that isn't and uh, that that's just so really true yeah you re- it just reminded me of my response to grief and it was just to swallow it all to be neat and easy and and I've spent the rest of my life trying to you know allow <laughs> it actually <laughs> and live through the repercussions of that
0: yeah no that I do remember actually it's funny I did a podcast yesterday well I was on a podcast and um it was to do with grief and and I was sort of having to tell my own story and uh and it took me back to the time of our family and how we all dealt with it in our own, you know, individual ways and how, yeah, I kind of shut myself off a little bit and, and was a bit quiet like you were, because you sort of want to try and be that, you know, strong person for the family.
1: But it doesn't go anywhere, does it? We just kind of, it just gets swallowed down and, and it's it's there. It's there. It stays there until we find ways to, I think, either process it or further ways to, Keep it quiet, keep it neat, and that's what I did for much of my life. Just kept finding ways to keep it, keep it under wraps.
0: <laughs> it's quite an interesting one, and I, I was umming and eyeing whether to ask it, but um, obviously moving into to the the job that you do now, and does it stem a lot from that? Do you think me doing this podcast and and writing, you know, a children's book for kids to try and help them through their own grief, you know, has seems to sort of be a natural progression as to to probably how I'm dealing with my own grief still, but also, you know, it's given me this drive. I guess. Do you think it's maybe instilled a part of that in you with everything you're doing?
1: Do you know what? I I I, I have therapy now. I've had therapy on and off the last ten years, and um, was it my therapist said when I when you become a therapist, when you train to be a therapist, you have to have therapy. It's part of the training. So I went as a tick box. I was like, well, I'm obviously I'm fine. So uh, I just have to. I have to go to therapy to tick the box and and they you know they often say that when you become a therapist you get the therapy you need and we go into it for various reasons and I think sometimes you know helping others is a way of distracting yourself from your own pain or it's a way of if you help others enough then maybe you know you'll get helped a little a little along the way and I think when I started training how many years ago it was 2000 and oh goodness knows what uh, early 2000s it it was a it was a multi-layered motivation but but actually I've always been so I've always wanted to support people and I think part of that is is seeing the different ways that people have grieved in my own life and the impact that that has had and my mum she's she's brilliant she she Grieved in a really healthy way. Um, my dad, not so much. And and I've also lived the repercussions of other people's lack of desire to grieve, and the the mechanisms that that they've used in order to kind of keep that grief at bay. You know, they 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 can sometimes be quite destructive. And the things that my dad used to grab to kind of cover up that sadness were not helpful in our in our family and um, just as the things that I have grabbed along the way to keep that sadness at bay have not been helpful for my life either so it's seeing how different people can respond to the same thing and actually with good guidance and with good support you know lives can be changed so having that insight to kind of different ways of grieving gave me a real a real heart and passion to to find ways to support other people through their challenges because it it, it makes a difference
0: Mm. yeah definitely and I guess you know in terms of you know losing your sister and probably also your grandparents how it's changed your outlook on life and uh, do you think it's given you a a sort of different perspective yeah (laughs) yeah
1: it, it, oh goodness i mean it's changed every part of me uh, in including in ways that i i think i'll never i'll never know because it is how i grew up i grew up in uncertainty i grew up in in with loss i grew up you know dealing with the repercussions of other people's ways of coping that were not helpful so I've had I've had to unpick that a lot along the way and also I've I've really struggled with health anxiety and fear of something happening to my children so that's really something I have had to work on Um, but also you know it, it it gives you an awareness and and that can go either way I think for me I I think Sometimes I hold my kids and I hug them and I'm like man I am so grateful I have you and then at other times I hug them and I'm like man I am so scared to lose you and it's the same thing with a completely different you know twist on it and it, and I, I think I have I have to really work on not living in fear of loss like there is always risk of loss and I think it feels very vulnerable to me to love because I put my heart on the line when I love my kids. You know, I put my heart on the line when I, but I can't help it. I can't help loving them, and I feel vulnerable. And I think it, I just have to keep finding ways to to ground myself because when you've been through a worst case scenario, you don't have the same strength to to kind of you know almost metaphorically grab yourself to, on the shoulders and remind and tell yourself it's going to be okay because there's a bit of you that knows it might not be. But it's using it's using that awareness to actually. Keep drawing you back to the present, and 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 I, I don't want fear to mar my life. I don't want the choices I make to be made out of fear or motivation to protect everyone around me, because you end up grabbing onto them, you know. And then I can't live well when I'm scared, um, and my kids can't live well if I'm just constantly scared because i make different choices for them I'll be like well you can't no you can't go out for a day trip with with my in-laws because what if if something happens you know I'm if I'm making those decisions out of fear then I'm I'm making their world small as well so it's that it's that incredible awareness of the fragility of life that is is wonderful because it makes you want to grab it but at the same time you know if that slips into fear it's something that I always need to be yeah on top of and aware of and kind to myself in
0: yeah it's definitely a double-edged sword <laughs> yeah um, but
1: that's life you know Actually, that is life that's the reality of life it is it's wonderful and it's sad and it is mm, all of the things in between and that that is the truth
0: it's having the 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 ability to embrace both isn't it in a way I guess yeah um, yeah so kind yeah. of you know like moving on to the current situation that we're in now you know with COVID-19 and how it stirred up grief and trauma for a lot of people you know and I know that you've given some really great advice in terms of anxiety because there is so much much anxiety out there mm. and and I can everything you just said it resonated with myself in terms of my children and I don't know how many times recently it's popped through my mind as to, oh, my God, what if I died, you know, and left my children? Yeah. Um, or what if yeah. one of those, my children died? And all that sort of, like you said, worst-case yeah. scenario stuff, um, which unfortunately is always there in the back of my mind through having the trauma as a child. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, we we deal with it and we and we try and sort of live with it, I guess. Um, have you got any advice for anyone sort of struggling at the moment? Do
1: you know what? The one thing, and I don't even know where it popped into my head in fact a couple of things so that I love a mantra and I love it because it's something so accessible it's something that's familiar it's a sentence that it's it's like a reassurance to me or it just draws me back and brings perspective
0: I was going to say I need to stop you there because last night I've sort of I've been fortunate to have through your, your brilliant new book and I've written down chapter three mantra anxiety can't thrive when we focus on the present and that really stuck out for me that that one
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's great, isn't it? When you find these little things and you just hold them and they're always like little comfort blankets that just bring you back down to earth when your head is floating off. And mine has been, I will cross that bridge if I get to it. And this is what I've been encouraging people to remind themselves of um, in two ways. One is the if i will cross that bridge if i get to it there are so many possibilities and potentials for the future you know um and many of them may not even come to fruition in fact most of the things that we fear don't actually come to fruition but just reminding yourself i will cross that bridge if i get to it i'll cross that bridge if i get to it if the more i the more i delve into that situation now i'm just feeling those emotions before actually having to potentially deal with it so I'm just feeling that fear that grief that that loss twice and it also reminds us that we have crossed so many bridges in our lives that we we would have thought at some point would have been absolutely insurmountable you know if you'd have told me that I could have lost my sister at some point in my life I I did and I would have said there's absolutely no chance in hell that I could go through that and the same for my parents and guess what to varying degrees of uh you know okay we absolutely did we've crossed mm. that bridge and we're still crossing that bridge and and that is the same for so many other situations in our lives that things that at some point would have seemed like insurmountable mountains lo and yeah. behold we we've done it and um it, yeah we we're, we're stronger than we think we are and no matter what lies ahead no matter what emotions it will stir up, no matter how dig, deep we will have to dig, we 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 can. We can. And um, I've been finding that really, really helpful. And the other thing that right at the beginning of this, um, the situation in the lockdown, I was looking ahead at these weeks and thinking, how long is it going to be? I just can't. I just can't do that. It's going to be so hard. And I my mind just went back to a moment I hadn't remembered for years. And it was my brother and I, we were young. We were rolling down this grassy bank and uh, we were laughing. We've, we found it hilarious because we would stand up and we'd be covered in grass and we'd do that kind of wobbly walking thing. And we were just giggling and it was so joyful. But the reality of that was, is that we were rolling down this grassy bank of this sunny graveyard in which weeks before we had buried, buried our sister. And it just reminded me that even in the confusion, even in the sadness, and there is a lot of grief going on right now for people, you know, because there is loss, not only loss of people, but loss of, you know, people's experiences of sharing newborns with their family, people's experiences of being with with older parents, you know, there's so much loss of stuff, you know, so it Mm. triggers other stuff. But but even in, the, even in the loss, even in the confusion, even in the overwhelm, even in the not knowing how life was going to look in our futures, as children, we still laughed and that laughter was real. And it's just a reminder that there is joy. There can always be joy, even in the midst of hard times. You know, and I, I think as we get older, we kind of shame our own feelings. Well, I can't feel happy because this is going on or, or I sh- you know, I shouldn't find this overwhelming or hard because so-and-so has it harder. But just validating the, the full spectrum of our emotions, even the ones that seem to be so opposing and contradictive, that, you know, if we could feel joy in that moment, rolling down a grassy bank in the graveyard where we had buried our sister at the time of such grief, like there, there can be laughter in these times. There can be joy in these times you know, and it reminded me of how you'd see children playing on the rubble of their homes back in the war. You know, yeah. that 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 play, that, that laughter would have been real amidst the darkness and the, the, the loss and, and the confusion and the fear. It, they all mm. coexist.
0: Absolutely. I think everything you just said is perfect. And, you know, I, I've heard you talk about that before Um, but to hear you say it now really sort of resonated and you know we're what sort of maybe six weeks in you know yeah. to this sort of lockdown and and like you say at the beginning we would be like oh my god how are we, <laughs> how are we gonna get through this yeah. you know kids are at home all of that stuff but here we are now and it's okay for a lot of people it isn't but for us yeah. and like you say we've smiled and we've laughed Tempers yeah we probably f'clock.
1: cried and we yeah absolutely we thought how the heck can I do this and this is one of those bridges that we yeah. are crossing and we are, mm. to varying degrees of okay, we are, you know, we're doing it. We're doing it. Mm. We're stronger than we think.
0: Yeah. Just going back to, you know, after your sister died, was, was there much sort of counselling support for you and your brother and your family um, at the time? Um, obviously this podcast is in support of winston's wish and and thankfully for a lot of children now there are some fantastic charities that can support but um, i was just wondering if you had any counseling yourself
1: do you know what i went my brother and i went went on uh, winston's wish residential and my parents so i remember that i don't remember a lot about it Mm. um i remember finding it very hard because i i wasn't able to I I didn't like the sadness, I found the sadness so uncomfortable, I wanted to, to move on, you know, at that point in my life as a child, I found it really scary to see people sad. And so to be for me, you know, it was just it was just, you know, being given that opportunity to feel in a safe environment where there were adults who weren't scared of the sadness in a way that I was who just would encourage us to make space written ways that we felt comfortable we did like different art therapy we did kind of i remember throwing clay at a wall we yeah. did all sorts of different things so it was just yeah having that space so Winston's wish was good but it it was i remember letting off a balloon i remember that feeling really uh, symbolic actually we all let let mm. off balloons in into the sky and uh, but other than that i think i just I wrapped it up and sucked it up. So I didn't get a lot of counselling really at all because I, I was very much okay. Thank you very much. I was fine. You know, yeah. I was fine. And um I've had I've, I've I've been having the therapy ever since down the down the road. You know, I'm having the therapy now. Because it I just put it was just pushed down for so long and as I say, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go yeah. anywhere. Whereas my mum, she felt it, she let it be and she She cried the tears and my brother cried the tears and my dad could probably do with some therapy just, you know, still now, I think it still feels very raw for him. Um, But yeah, so I didn't, it wasn't that the counselling wouldn't have been available for me if I'd, if I'd Mm. wanted it. It was just that I, my coping mechanism, my, my way of surviving was to not want to deal with it.
0: I think yeah. there is a message there, isn't there? Because I remember after my dad died and I, they wanted to give me counselling pretty much immediately, but it was just too yeah. soon. And yeah. I know for a lot of kids out there, it might be too soon. And it's just sort of taking things at your own time and your own space and and knowing when you're ready to to just sort of share your, your feelings yeah. and your emotions, isn't it? Yeah. So moving on to um, Winston's Wish, we've got some questions from the children and... The Aww. first one is how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad?
1: So my favorite thing to do at the moment is to bring in gratitude and when I'm feeling grumpy, when I'm feeling sad, it's not to overpower the sadness, it's not to take the the fear or the anxiety away, it's just to I think of it as like switching on a light in the corner of a dark room. It just kind of brings a bit of balance into the darkness and I just I like to think about what I'm grateful for. So I might list a few things, but I, I actually nearly cried washing, doing the washing the other day because I was so grumpy and I was in it. I just felt a bit low and I was doing the washing and I thought, I'm just going to bring some gratitude in here to just to bring some balance into it. And I started thinking how grateful I was to have a washing machine. I started thinking how grateful I was to have a house in which was warm and safe that housed my washing machine and then I started thinking how grateful I was that I had kids that were wearing Mm. clothes that I could wash and that we could afford to buy some of these clothes and it it just it, it just brought balance into that mood into that low mood into that oh this is so mundane and boring and I'm a bit fed up you know and it it just yeah it just really helps me
0: it's a great leveler isn't it
1: I think that's it and a leveler is good because I think if we steamroll if we try and use gratitude and like positive mental attitude to steamroll emotions like grief and emotions like sadness or you know mm. it it just we don't need to edge it out and steamroll it it's just sometimes nice to bring a bit of something else into it as well into the mix
0: okay the next one is what piece of music reminds you of your sister is there any music that you can remember
1: yeah, there is actually. And I, because, because I was so, you know, I was young. I remember primary school and our little, little, uh, primary school locally to us. She used to love this song called Shine, Jesus, Shine. It sounds so cheesy now, but she just used to absolutely be the one that was doing the loudest singing, uh, when we, when we'd sing that song in assembly. <laughs> so that, that song, you know, that song, and it, and it's, you know, it's about, it's about gratitude. And, and she was one of these, kids that just saw the fun in everything and and would bring a smile to someone's face there would be a grumpy person on the train and she'd go across to them and say I really like your hat and she, <laughs> she would you know she'd speak to the grumpiest person in the room and say something funny that would make them smile and she just yeah so that that's the song that reminds me of her
0: oh, amazing okay the next one is what do you do to remember your sister on important days like her birthday
1: at home, if I'm ever at home, my parents do this: would light a candle for, for that day. But I must say, I I'm not a good one for, for even knowing what day it is. So sometimes there will be days, you know, there will be there will be birthdays that go past, and a few days later, I'll be like, oh gosh, mm. I'm you know, it was Emily's mm. birthday. Um, and occasionally, I like I like to use those days to think about what would she be like now she'd be, you know, in her early thirties. I just, I can't imagine it. All I can remember her as is a, you know, a, a young child. So it's, mm. it feels like so much of life has happened actually between, between then and now that there are just little things that will prompt me to think about her and it won't always be on a particular day or just that she'll just pop into my mind or there'll be something, you know, there's a photo in our living room of her and it's the only photo that we kind of have out. We don't really have a lot, a lot of, Kind of photos of her in our home because my my parents have a lot of them. So you know, it's just I will just be prompted every now and again to remember that mm. that, that that little girl is is a massive part of who I am, really. Yeah. Because what we yeah. went through together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a bit like you. I always forget my dad's birthday. I don't think yeah. I can actually tell you when it was. My sisters could, but for me, it's always just the day that he died that stands out. Um, which is actually yeah. next Tuesday.
1: Oh, really? And this is May, May 31st, so... Uh, oh, really? Not,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, it's this time of yeah. year. Um, I always sort of remember the day, but uh, yeah, for, yeah, for important days. He's just always with me. And, and, and again, so if I'm going past Bristol Cathedral, I always yeah. make an effort to pop in and light a candle and I sit down and I just, you know, like you said, you just sort of every day across the year. Yeah. Um, it could be any time. Okay, the next question is, and I guess you might have touched on it already earlier. But what three things are you most grateful for at the moment?
1: I'm most grateful for so simply. I'm most grateful for my kids, my husband, and my home. These are the things around me immediately, and I'm so you know our home used to be a base. We'd we'd live from it, not in it. You know, we we'd come home to rest, to eat, and then we'd go out, and and just having this base in these last few weeks that is familiar is it's made my my house my base into a into a home and I really appreciate that actually um and my kids I just feel so grateful that to have them and that they are healthy and that they make me smile and it's a massive privilege and my husband yeah it's been yeah. interesting because we've never spent so much time together in that honestly never he normally is out <laughs> from, from from before I wake up till uh you know half uh, half eight nine o'clock in the evening in the week so uh I've, I've literally yeah. never spent so much time with him I actually quite like him so uh <laughs> that was <lovely. laughs> well you normally just chat logistics don't you and you're kind of like two ships yeah. and you're juggling kids but then you spend more time together you're like yeah I uh I remember now. You're, you're really nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember why I married you. Um, yeah,
1: that's really yeah. funny, actually.
0: My wife turned around to me last night, which uh, at the time I thought was quite strange, but she said, I'm really enjoying this time with you. And I was like,
1: yeah. oh,
0: thank you. Um, thank you, yeah. But, yeah, that yeah, was really nice. Yeah. Okay, so we've got to talk about your new book, which is coming out next week on the 14th of May, Mind Over Mother. I guess the big question is, what prompted you to write this book?
1: So funnily enough, it's been almost two and a half years to the day that that the whole conversation about writing a book happens. So it feels like a long time ago, but the motivation and the passion behind writing the book is that it's great that people are talking more about anxiety. It's great that people are talking more about you know, the challenges of being a mother, but it, it seems that that seems to be enough, like, oh, great, I'm not alone. I'm glad I'm not alone. That makes me feel better you know, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's been through this or feels through this, feels that. So I'm, you know, I feel better for that. And I'm there going like as a therapist, and someone that has worked so much on my own kind of anxiety, I'm there being like, no, that's not the end. There is so much more for you than just putting up with it and just being glad that you're not the only one and, and thinking, well, this is just motherhood. This is just parenting, living, you know, with, with fear and worry. I'm like, no there's so much more there, there are ways to get headspace back from that. You don't want to, you don't need to put up with fear and anxiety as being your, being your base level normal.
0: And how did you, how have you found writing the book?
1: I loved it. It was in my head for so long that actually, you know, I had a newborn. I was going in and out of London for book meetings with it, with Florence, my third, she was weeks old and handing her over to my mother-in-law who'd meet me at the train station. And I wrote it in eight weeks. Um, on two days childcare a week but but it honestly because it was so like ready in my heart and in my head it almost just felt like a relief just to write it down <laughs> get it out there so so to know that it's coming out is uh it feels quite surreal that the jerk you know that that long journey is um yeah it's coming to fruition finally
0: holding that copy in your hand is quite a thing isn't it you yeah know, when, you, when you've really like is. you said eight weeks of writing and you know well yeah. and to actually hold a physical mm. copy of of your book great feeling
1: yeah it's quite something yeah it doesn't almost it doesn't feel real I'm I'm (laughs) waiting for the minute that it that it really feels real
0: oh no it's amazing so yeah congratulations for that okay so my last question is one that I do like to ask is if you had one final conversation with your sister and I know that you know you both were very young but what do you think you might like to say to her
1: do you know what I uh you sent you sent these questions through previously and this was the one I've always got a lot to say about everything but this was the one that really just kind of got me because I, I just do you know what when she died um, I had this opportunity to go away on this kind of residential kids week um, and I'd gone every year with my friends so the night before we went I didn't know still whether I was going to go because I knew we all knew that Emily would most likely die whilst I was away she was very end of life at home with the hospice care at home and um so I didn't know whether I was going to go on this on this week away and in the morning I just had this overwhelming feeling as a 10 year old I always feel like peace is a bit of a promise like I I, I really trust that kind of that sense, and it felt right to go. And my mum felt she woke up feeling the same thing. So we, as we packed my bag and I went off, we knew that Emily would die. You know, whilst I whilst I was away, and I and I um I went into the room and she was there. You know, she hadn't spoken for days. She was on so she was up to her eyeballs in you know with kind of morphine and various sedatives. And um, I said to her, "I love you. I love you." and oh this is so emotional and she I just remember her I remember her shouting down the corridor that she loved me and when my parents told the hospice nurses they were like oh my goodness uh, no chance there's absolutely no chance that she would have been conscious enough to 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 shout down a corridor or even even you know talk at all but she did and we all we all remember it and and that was the last conversation I had with her and I just don't think I changed it I don't think I'd change it I think it would just be the same yeah I think
0: that's perfect isn't it you know if any of us could say something to our loved ones who are no longer here yeah love I love you is is the one thing I would imagine um yeah and that how how amazing is it that she shouted back down the corridor
1: yeah and it it, you know I went away on this residential trip and I woke up one morning at oh really early I think it was like kind of half four five o'clock which was unusual for me as a kid you tend to just sleep don't you
0: Mm. you know and
1: I woke up and um, I knew I felt really sad and I, I knew that she died and it was that time that I woke up that she you know we later worked out was that that was the time that she died and it was right that I was away because I'm quite a light sleeper i would have woken up and gone into the room and there was commotion you know there's there's often commotion at the end of life and my brother who sleeps through anything he slept through it all whereas i i feel almost sure that i would have i would have walked out the hallway and you know my last memory wouldn't have been that moment of declaration of love it, it may well have been something very different that I'm just you know it was just the right thing it was the right thing and yeah it just felt it still feels special to have had that opportunity and how things worked out and yeah
0: that's lovely okay well Anna I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on and talking with me today and sharing your grief story and also your you know professional (laughs) advice to to those out there that might be struggling (laughs) at the moment in this strange time and uh yeah so just thank you so much
1: well thank you so much for having me it's an honor it's something i don't talk about often maybe not enough so it's uh it's actually been really therapeutic for me to do this so thank you thank you it's a really valuable conversation to be to be having with people i don't doubt that this is gonna that you know your resources is such such a support
0: thank you Emma. and uh, yeah take care
1: thank you you too